This morning I want to talk about something that may seem by title just as kind of ho-hum, what's next, Uh, when we talk about church, church life. What must churches do no matter what? What must churches do no matter what? And I'm sure we could all come up with a great list. But let me, let me just say this from last week. One of the things that our body of believers did well last week in our offering towards our transition uh, fund, and over $17,000 came into that, and we really want to say just thank you for your gracious sacrifice. Now, I know it was Father's Day, and probably if we would have known a year ago uh, that uh, last week was Father's Day, we probably wouldn't have had the offering on Father's Day, not because there's anything wrong with that, but we know a lot of our ways. So we just want to say if you feel uh, led of Christ to, to give towards that, you can do that just by putting transition fund on your check or in an envelope, however you want to do, that's fine. We just want to mention that, that we still do have the door open if uh, you want to give to that. And we'll trust you and the Lord to make those decisions. But thank you so much for your sacrificial uh, giving. Let's pray as we enter upon this, uh, this subject. Father, we are your church. We're more than a building. We're not even a building. We are a body of believers that you have called to yourself. You have redeemed us. We have come to you in repentance and trust in Christ You are a part of our lives, and you are changing us, and we await that glorious day when we will be glorified with the Lord Jesus. We long for that for the sake of Christ. We realize in our journey in which you are setting us apart and making us more like you, the process of sanctification, many times we can see the journey as long. There are times that for all of us that we just say, Is there anything exciting going on? And today, as we interact with your word from the first chapter of Colossians, we want to learn. We want you to teach us. We submit ourselves to you. Teach us about excitement. Teach us how inwardly we can have more excitement than anyone else in the world. And Father, we want to live out that reality because we believe that because it's in the text. And so we thank you. Thank you, Lord, so much for the privilege of meeting together. We pray for our fellow believers, Lord, around the world, many of those obviously we have never seen face to face. But, Lord, in their struggles and their persecution, we pray for them. We lift them up. Lord, may they be on their hands and knees to you. Lord, we hear reports of many of them that are just excited about standing for the faith. It's hard for us to understand that. It's hard for me to understand that. But, Lord, we know it's reality, and we want to be a part of that support in praying for them. And so now we commit ourselves to you. That which you teach us as believers, we are committed to obey. We want to do that for your glory. We ask this in his name, the name of the Lord Jesus, a name above all others. Amen. Well, come with me to Colossians chapter 1 then. What is it that churches do no matter what? What is the calling of the church? What's the calling of the assembly? What is the calling of a body of believers? Now, I don't know about you. You probably already figured this out. But I was, I was quite surprised in recent days 
as I was doing some studies in this area, uh, just on the word called, and to realize that I use that word a lot more than the Scriptures do. God calls us to Himself. God calls us to be His children. Uh, before the Lord led us here in ministry back in the 70s, uh, I was a school teacher and uh, a steel worker. And uh, many times people would say, well, are you called to the ministry? And I was uh, obviously called to the ministry. And for those of you that have done some extra studies, you, you have been well aware of that. Are you called? Are you not called? Who's called? Who's not called? Aren't we all called? And it goes on and on and on. Well, scripturally, we're all called, so we just settled the matter. We're all called. So if anybody asks you, have you ever been called, you say, yes, God called me to himself. And you would be scripturally right on target. I want to take that, though, because in our calling to be disciples of Christ, to be slaves of his, we, in that terminology, we are called to serve our Lord. And God has gifted us in different ways. So whether you're a teacher, uh, whether you use your hands, uh, whatever you and I do, those are gifts that God gives to us. It gives to all humanity. He's a very gracious God. But there are times I think that all of us would say, you know, I probably don't want to announce this too loudly, but yeah, there are times I get bored. I get bored with Christianity. I get bored just, oh, it's Sunday, let's pack up and let's go to church, let's come home and uh, take a nap, and it goes on week after week, month after month. We get bored. Ho-hum. What's new? I have a friend that uh, I talk to occasionally here in the area, and we were on this discussion not long ago. I was visiting with him, and... Uh, so I asked him why he attended the church he did. And he just said, well, quite honestly, because when I go to church, I get bored. I want to go to a church where there's excitement. I want to see things. I want to hear things. I want to feel things. And I said, well, what, what do you learn? He said, I don't go to learn. I go to be excited. I, I just go because it's fun. It's new. No, I'm not saying all of that in itself is wrong. Obviously, there's some wrong thinking there. And I would say, well, why do you crave that? He says, because honestly, in churches like yours, and he meant, you know, evangelicalism, uh, he would say, I just get bored. <laughs> it just bores me to death. All you do is teach. There's no excitement. There's, there's nothing that I can, you know, wow. And he was being very, very honest and, and very gracious and very truthful. I want to tackle that today because, you know, honestly, I don't want to be bored. I wonder what real excitement is. Do we find it in the text? So come with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. What must churches do no matter what? I think there's two things that come out in this text that are very important to all of us. Number one is, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, as a slave of Christ, I have been called to Christ. You have been called to Christ. You are a slave of Christ, and we are called to proclaim the gospel. That's not a preacher description. That's not an, uh, just for the apostles in their day. You and I, yes, you, as a believer, called of Christ, 
are called to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, and His soon return, we hope. Secondly, we pray for believers to have spiritual growth. Now, generally speaking, it's, it's easy for perhaps the mass of Christianity to ignore that and to say, well, I'm not good at proclaiming the gospel. Other people do that. That's what we pay preachers to do. I'm sure that's not your decision. But Secondly, pray for believers to have spiritual growth. That doesn't sound very exciting, does it? Perhaps. Well, in verse 1, we're just going to read these three verses, uh, kind of an introduction, but uh, sets the stage for us. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. So Paul, this is what we call a prison epistle. Paul was in prison and he's writing to the church at Colossae, which is also under persecution. Some of them have already been martyred. Some of them obviously have been thrown into prison likewise. And so he says, I write to the saints, I write to the believers, we are saints, we have been set apart, we've been called unto God, and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, it was a city in Asia Minor, grace to you, and peace from God our Father. He says in verse 3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know from church history that Paul's never been there. There's somebody else that planted this church. We'll read of him in just a moment. But Paul's never seen these believers. He's never been in the city. And so he writes and says, We give thanks to God, uh, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. So he's praying for people he's never seen. Heard of, yes. Seen, no. Interacted with, no. But he prays for them. You and I need to pray for people we've never seen, never interacted with, but we hear of them. And we do. We pray for the martyrs. We pray for people around the world. Now in verse 4 he says, Praying always for you since we heard. We heard of your faith. We heard of your trust and reliance in Christ Jesus in union with him. And the love which you have for all the saints, we have heard, I and my co-workers, we have heard of your calling, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And the, the love, the sincere appreciation and high regard, listen to the tone there. People he had never seen, yet he knew they had been called to Christ, they had placed their faith in him, And he says, the love which you have for all the saints, this sincere appreciation and high regard. Wow, when I look at you guys, tomorrow will I think of sincere appreciation for you? I would hope so. Has that been true always? No. But not only sincere appreciation, but it says here, This love is the kind of high regard. You ever find it hard to criticize somebody you hold in high regard? It's kind of difficult, isn't it? It's kind of the opposite. Holding somebody in high regard and yet thinking evil of them or criticizing them. 
That's the word for love here. It's the agape love. We generally say the unconditional love. But really what it is, it's a sincere appreciation, a high regard for fellow believers around us. That's not true of my friends outside of Christ, but it certainly must be true of those of you who are in Christ. Now he says, I pray always for you, but in verse 5, why? What's the reason? Why do I do this? Well, it's because of the hope. It's because of the confident expectation. It's the certainty, but not yet realized. There's the certainty of the future. I know it. Why? Because God said, it's my future. Yet I have not realized it and experienced today. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth. And then he uses a very special word. You know it well. You've heard it often. It's the gospel. It is that channel of information by which the whole world comes to understand truth about God's grace in Christ Jesus. In Hebrews, it's called the living truth. It it really takes on life. That's what the gospel does. It gives life to people who are called by God. And they respond by placing their faith in Christ. It takes on life. It's called a new creation in 2 Corinthians 5.17. The point is, this is a not only a a living truth, it's it's also without a living reality. It's life. It's life that's new. It's life that it's alive. That's what Paul's referencing here. In fact, we see it really vividly in Acts 15 and verse 7. Come with me to there. In verse 7, after there had been much debate, this is after the Jerusalem council, and he says, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles, not only Jews, but the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel. They would hear the word of the gospel. I would be the instrument, but the means of people hearing, it would be that message of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, as Paul announces in 1 Corinthians 15. And it says, and believed. They heard the gospel and believed. It's the gospel that causes people to believe. That's the medium. That's the, that's the instrument. That's how God calls. You speak it, you share it, you proclaim the gospel, as he said earlier here in the passage. You and I proclaim it. It has, it's as if it takes on life. It brings life to those who are dead. It did to us. I want you to see that. God calls us not just to be different. God calls us to be alive. That is the truth that the world needs to see. You are alive. What caused that? It's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the living word. It's Christ. He is the word. Now notice in verse 6. He says, Which has come to you just as in all the world. 
This gospel has come to you at Colossae, just as it has in all the world, the known world at that time. And notice what it does. The pronoun references it back here to the gospel. It is constantly what? It's like sharing and proclaiming the gospel and watch it go, watch it go, watch it go, watch it go. You can't get bored. Watch it go. It is going to move and go and change lives and it gives life and you will notice it. If I proclaim, it will change lives. I can't change lives, but if I proclaim the gospel, it changes lives. Did you ever notice when somebody at work or wherever, or maybe it's a family member or maybe a person in your own family, that you proclaim and you share the gospel and they respond? And you'd say, boring. Yeah, boring. No. You say, guess what happened this week? I have been sharing the gospel with this person for weeks, maybe for months, maybe for years. And they placed their faith in Christ. Can you believe it? And they are alive. That's the cure for boredom. That's God's cure. It's not necessarily external enthusiasm. You see, God, for you and I as believers, He has created this capacity to be obedient. And as you and I are obedient and proclaim the gospel, God says it will be life abundant. There will be no time for boredom. But if I stop proclaiming the gospel, what will enter in will be boring. I said to my friend, don't you ever get tired of that? He says, well, I don't know that I... Well, yeah, I guess I do. Sometimes I just cry out, can't you do something new to entertain me today? <laughs> That's boredom. You see, that can't sustain us. There's nothing wrong with enthusiasm. There's nothing wrong with being excited. There's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves if they're centered in Christ. But it can't sustain me. You see, God has already built something in that sustains me no matter what. And that's obedience, proclaiming the gospel, life in Christ. There's something else here, though, which has come to you just as in all the world also. It is constantly bearing fruit. You can see it. It bears fruit. The gospel bears fruit. We do not proclaim the gospel in order not to see any fruit. That's not, that's not reality. And not only does it bear fruit, but it is increasing, even as it has been doing in you, saints at Colossae, since the day you heard of it, not only did it bring, not only did it bear fruit, but it continues to bear fruit day after day, day after day. And you and I, perhaps, when we have proclaimed the gospel, and people have responded to God's calling, and we see them growing. It's the good news. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has life. And we see them growing and maturing. I think of some of you that I saw you in your pre-conversion days. 
you didn't get a chance to see me in my pre-conversion days, and you ought to be thankful. But I've seen some of you in your pre-conversion days, and it's radically different. And I rejoice and say, wow, are they not growing? Yes. That's exciting. Not because I had a part in it, but as being a messenger of the gospel. This is what he is saying. It is increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God that is found in the midst of truth. Now, you did not learn it from me, Paul is writing here, but you learned it from Epaphras, our, our beloved fellow bondservant. Well, let's forget about the culture rendering of that phrase and let's just go straight to the text. Our beloved fellow slave. That's the word, doulos. Slave. I have no rights. I have relinquished all of my rights. Lord, I am simply here to do nothing else than obey. And why do I want to do that? Because I want to avoid boredom. <laughs> I want to be excited. I don't, I've lived in boredom. I've lived in enthusiasm in the world, but it hasn't sustained me. There's always got to be more and more and more. That sounds like drug addiction. You know, it never stops. It's like the pornography. pornography. You know, it, it, well, I'm go- I only go so far and I stop. That never happens. There's a craving. And he says here, he says, Our beloved fellow servant, fellow slave, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. On our behalf, he is out there in our place doing this. And, secondly, he also informed us of your love in the Spirit, in union with the Spirit, your love, your craving, your high regard for the Spirit's work in their lives. Well, that's one dimension. If you and I don't want to be bored in our lives, then what's the medicine? Well, to keep me, the prescription that you would spiritually give me to keep me from boredom is go, pro- go proclaim the gospel. Now, I can come up with all kinds of substitutes, but they'll never sustain me. And what will happen is that even though it may sound very spiritually, it in, the, in the long term will not sustain me. There will always have to be more of it and more of it and more of it, and I'll just keep coming up dry. You know, scripturally we find in Ephesians and we find in Philippians and we find throughout the New Testament. Here is the antidote to boredom. Go proclaim the gospel. Now you'll never feel ready and neither do I. I'll never feel sufficient or efficient, but we are. Because it's not about how well I do it. It's about I do to the best of God-given ability and God, it's your gospel and it will work and I await to see the fruit that is a sustaining excitement even into heaven. But even more, even more than that, in Colossae, even though it's not stated, but knowing the cultural environment of that day This is a late letter, meaning that it's in the 60s of the first century. So Nero is ready to really have the onslaught of persecution. And it's already in Asia Minor. 
It'll get worse in a matter of 10 years. And so you've got people here that have been in prison. They have lost family. Knowing of the atmosphere of that culture, there is sickness. There's not a lot of medicine to bring health as we would know it today. And so in those times there are fears and persecutions and a good place to get sick is to be thrown in a prison, not a prison like ours in our culture. But in that day, that was a great place to die with sickness. That's what happened. Notice in verse 9, for this reason, because of your love, For this reason also, based on this good report from Epaphras since the day we heard of it, we do not cease to pray for you. That doesn't sound too extraordinary. We should pray. We should pray even for those we have not seen. And to ask. Now here's where you're not going to like me. Okay, Some of you are going to say, Don't say that. Don't tell me that. You're going to say, oh no, that's not right. You ready? You prepared? Okay. And to ask that we may be filled, filled to capacity, even has the connotation filled and running over, with the knowledge of His will, with the knowledge of His desires. I ought to be running over. The prayer is this. Paul says, I and the co-laborers of mine, we pray that you in prison, you with terminal illness, you who have lost family, I pray that you be filled with the knowledge of God's desires. In all spiritual wisdom, not worldly wisdom, but in all spiritual wisdom. And in all spiritual understanding, all spiritual insight. In other words, seeing it from God's perspective. God, how do I pray for a person who is just dealing with their husband or children having been martyred? God, how do I pray for that person in a dungeon who contacts all kinds of diseases. And God, how do I pray for those who fear that's going to happen to their their family? What is going to sustain them? What is going to keep them from boredom? What is going to keep them from giving up? What will sustain them day by day by day? Well, one of the things that will sustain Paul and his co-workers is that they spread the gospel, they proclaim it, and then they pray. So, In one sense, they don't get bored. You ever been bored praying? Come on now. Don't raise your hand. Just be honest inside and say, yeah, sometimes I fall asleep. Well, maybe that's because you work too much. But I think all of us would say, (laughs) you know, it's, don't get over. Yeah, yeah, I think I do experience that at times. Okay, let's see what the antidote here is. To ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. So, Lord, even though I've not seen them, I've not touched them, but I know it's there. I've heard from Epaphras. And so I pray, 
I pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of your will, your desires. I think he ought to be praying, deliver them, cure them. Well, at least that's what I've been taught. And it's not to say that God cannot heal and God is not interested in their dilemma. But Paul says there's something more important here. Should we ever pray that God, if it be pleasing to you, that you would heal this person? Absolutely. Let me give you the core here. That you may be filled with the knowledge, how do I pray for a person who has terminal cancer? Does it go beyond, Lord, if it be pleasing to you, would you deliver them from the cancer? Does it go beyond that? Yes. That's the point. In fact, they will not do well unless we pray well. For this we see this here. To ask that we may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and in all spiritual understanding of their dilemma, of their circumstance. Lord, I pray that they will have full knowledge of your desire. What is it you're accomplishing them? It's like praying for Job. There's five things. I put them in your notes there. But if you just look at the text and you say, okay, what is the knowledge of God's will? What is his desire if I have cancer? What is his desire if I've lost a child, lost a job? Finances are very difficult. Maybe it not be a terminal disease, but it's not what I would desire. How do we pray? Well, we pray for spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. In fact, if we take that word and just, just cl- click it out in the New Testament, we come up with five very distinct things. I put those references in your notes. We're not going to take time to look at the verses. Number one, he says, Don, when you are in your deepest needs, physically, boredom, whatever it is, I want you to have spiritual wisdom in all spiritual understanding regarding your sanctification. What is God doing with your life? Secondly, regarding the giving of thanks for everything. Lord, thank you for this circumstance. Thank you for this situation. I have absolute confidence that you have brought it to my life to make me more like Christ. Number three, regarding the learning of truth. Lord, help me to more clearly see, because of my circumstances, the truth. Number four, regarding the doing of right. Regarding suffering for Christ is number five. Lord, what do I, how do I learn to suffer well for you? I had a situation the other, about ten days ago. I was in a hospital situation. And since we're committed to honesty here, my normal procedure is to go in, how you doing? Well, it's kind of like 
come on, Pastor, how do you think I'm doing? <laughs> you know, I'm here stretched out. IVs all over me. Well, that's just kind of the cultural thing to say. How you doing? And as I'd been working in this passage some, even at that time, as I was going up the elevator to the room, Lord, how do I really minister to a person who has very little hope? How you doing? I'm doing all right. Sounds like I'm cultural and they're cultural. And then I began to realize, what's the ministry here? I have not the power to raise that person up. If I did, I would. I really would. And you would too. But I don't have that power. And I really don't know what God's design is. Could he raise them up that hour? Yes, I believe that. I really believe that. Well, God may choose not to raise them up. Yes. All right, then how are you going to minister to them? And I just started going down through basically this list. And we began to talk. And we had one of the most wonderful interactions for about an hour and 15 minutes. It was kind of like time just flew. And we were interacting about these. Okay, how, how, do we, how do we live our lives in this situation? How do we live our lives in light of what the doctors have just said? What do you need? Knowledge of his desire. Knowledge of his, of his will. And so, not knowing the end result, we begin talking about <clears throat> the continual transformation of one's life as a believer. And to actually say and give thanks, Lord, thank you for what you're teaching me. I am confident I'll be more like Christ day by day as I obey you. What I'm learning about truth and how you're sustaining me and doing of right and suffering for Christ. It was one of the, probably the best I've ever had in light of the situation. And prayer was exciting. Now what's my point here? My point is this. There are numerous people who get bored in their sickness because they pray and pray and pray and the church prays and prays and prays and prays and nothing happens. You give up on God but culturally as a Christian I will say yeah God answers prayer. And seldom perhaps we never get to the place of ministering knowing the desire of God. We know what they are. God's will is not a secret. It's in Scripture. And the joy and the antidote to boredom to that person and myself was, this is profitable. This is profitable. We don't know the outcome. And the outcome is not bright from the human perspective. But I saw brightness in that person. They saw brightness in me because we were talking about truth. And God was ministering to that person. 
So why, do, why would we do that? Rather than walking out of the room and somebody saying, well, did you have prayer? Yes, I did. What did you pray about? I prayed that God would deliver them. You think he will? I don't know. That's pretty boring in one sense. But I do know that was working as we interacted with one another. Notice in verse 10, why? So that. What's the purpose? You will walk in a worthy manner, worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit continually in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Was that not true of Job for 40-some chapters? Was it not true? Is that not in Scripture? Yes. And in verse 11, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness. Let's stop there just for a moment. You see, God has a wonderful antidote even in our most difficult moments of life in ministering to people. People say, I don't know what to say. Here it is. Here it is. At a funeral, it's ministering. How you're interacting with this loss, it's grieving, yes. And that's not fun. That's proper, though. But do you and I as believers have something to minister? If I lose a dear one, if I hear this week I have terminal cancer, please don't come and say, I'm going to pray for your healing. Because I'm going to say, that's great. And what else are you going to pray for? That's my point. I trust you would pray for my sanctification. And that I would be encouraged to give thanks in the midst of of life that is painful. And that I would be learning truth, God's truth. And I would be in obedience of doing right and suffering for Christ and for Him alone. That does not bring boredom. That's ministry. That's ministry. So that, why do, why do we pray that? Because I desire for you, you desire for me. Pastor, sorry for being diagnosed of this disease. But I'm going to pray for you. I will continue to pray for you in these areas so that you will walk your manner of living. I may not be able to physically walk, but the word here is your manner of life. Worthy of the Lord. Please Him in all respects. Bearing fruit. Oh, man, I see Jack Davis here. Remember our missionary who passed away, went home to be with the Lord about a year ago? When Anita and I saw him with leukemia in the latter days of his life, wow, you think, man, don't you get it? You're dying. And he's saying, yes, (laughs) I'm going home. And he really meant it. He was not bored. He had not given up. And it says here, according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness. 
the capacity to bear up under difficult circumstances. What catches the attention of the world? It's steadfastness of believers. And patience, he says in verse 11, which is just simply an emotional calmness in the face of misfortune without complaint or irritation. Yes, there may be a time you need to say, Pastor, get over it. Get beyond yourself. I pray these things for you. That's not being nasty. It's being, and we have to do it in a sensitive way. My plea is this, folks, that you and I will pray biblically. I'm sorry for the person you may be here this morning that I startled the other day when you stopped me here at church and said, pray for such and such. And I said, what do you want me to pray about? And they kind of looked at me and said, do I have to tell you what to pray about? I just told you the situation. I said, I have to pray more than that. I wasn't trying to be smart. And, but, folks, here, this, is ex, this is excitement. This is Christ. It's about Him. This is our ministry to the world. Many of you are doing this. This is not, this is not something new to some of you. But let's, let's, let's live the Scripture. You know, it's, I want to come to you and say, Pray for so-and-so and pray they will walk worthy of the Lord in their dilemma and situation and circumstances which is deplorable. And pray they will be growing in in truth and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that they will be giving thanks for God for their situation. Most Christians will think we're nuts. Some will say, well, you don't care about people. Oh, yeah. We really care because we pray Scripture. People need to hear this, as the people at Colossae did. Well, let's finish it. So, it's according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God is calling us home one day, maybe today. Joyously giving thanks. Why do churches, what do churches do no matter what? They proclaim the gospel and they pray for believers to grow. Now, you don't have to be sick to pray that, okay? But that was kind of the text there. What's two things we pray for? We pray, Lord, give me an enablement of your spirit to proclaim the gospel clearly and pray for me to be before you in praying for others in their spiritual maturity. How do I pray for a person that needs a job? I pray the same way as I pray for a person who is dying, that they will walk worthy of the Lord. They will learn in this situation. And if God be pleased, he will give a positive answer even though he may withhold that, withdraw that. 
That's the life. I want you to see that. That's the application. In fact, as an application, I would, I would encourage all of us. I encourage myself. Ask for awareness. I want to take just a moment before we close. And I want to ask you seriously. What is the first thought that comes across your mind when you hear the words, will you pray this week for an awareness of opportunities to proclaim Christ? What's your first response to it? Don't say it out loud. What's your first response? For some of you, you will say, I don't know how, and I understand that. Ask. We are trainers and equippers. We'll be glad to do that. You may say, I can't do that. That's disobedience. Just being honest. You may say, I don't care. Then you need to question your salvation. How can the Holy Spirit within me, and I say I don't care, I'm not convicted about it. It's nothing to me. It doesn't bother me. How can that be true? How can that be true? Second application. I challenge all of us. I challenge myself. Just go through our church directory. Or maybe it's somebody outside our, our church family. Select five people. Just select five. And pray for them to be sharing Christ and to have spiritual growth. I guarantee you this church will never be the same. This church will never, ever be the same. Two very simple tasks. Pray for an awareness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, this week, help me to have eyes like yours to see the needs of people I'm around. Help me to be aware and sensitive to the conversations. It may not be a long conversation. It may not even be able to share a lot. But help me to be aware. And tomorrow, I guarantee you, it'll be difficult to be bored because you'll be looking for the Spirit of God to work in that reaction to the proclamation of the gospel. And secondly, to pray for five people, not only to proclaim the gospel, but to spiritually grow. And Lord, whatever it takes for that person to spiritually grow, I pray, Lord, use me to help them through those difficult times, if that's what it takes. That is one, not the only one, but that's one of the great antidotes to boredom in Christianity. And by the way, there's a lot of it. You know it, and I know it. But proclamation of the gospel and praying for the spiritual growth of others as they pray for my spiritual growth. And we begin to see God do things. And that sustains us. That fills our capacity that God's created for abundancy. Because it's about Christ. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> as Paul penned those words, we don't have a clear record of what Epaphras perhaps had written to him, 
about the physical conditions, the spiritual conditions of the church family in Colossae. But Lord, as we just look at the whether it's physical or spiritual needs, the prayer is always the same. Lord, we do not, clearly, we do not doubt your ability to heal. At any time you so please. But God, I pray, do not let us pray simply for healing when you have brought sickness in order to promote spiritual growth. God, help us not to be ignorant and to pray against your will. Lord, help us to pray scripturally. Lord, we, we live for life as you see it. Lord, we pray that there will not be any believer who is bored by their Christianity, but they will be proclaiming the gospel and watching the gospel to grow and interact and increase and increase more and more, and for many even to come to Christ as Lord and Savior. And whether a person is healed or they continue in their sickness, they come alive. They come alive because, Lord, inside you are doing your work, the work that you have created. Lord, we pray for that for our assembly. We pray for that personally. That the world may know the truth about you. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for the enablement to be here today, Lord, to share with one another. And, Lord, I ask that this week, whether it's five or four, we just made suggestions, but, Lord, may we pray for the spiritual growth of others. May we be on our knees. May we take some time to do that. May we rejoice in that. May we pray, Lord, for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this town. Lord, not only for ourselves, but for our dear friends in the body of Christ. May the word, the gospel, saturate this area and around the world. And so, Father, we worship you by our response to you. What will we say? What will change in our lives? And we ask whatever the change is, Lord, that it would be to your glory and yours alone. In Christ's name, amen.